Hey, this is Matthias. Do you want a better life for half the price? Then this episode is for you. One strategy for financial independence is using geo-arbitrage and moving to a low-cost country to either save more or live better from the same amount of income than in your current country. And in today's episode, I talk with Tim Level, who is an experienced travel blogger, writer, publisher since the 90s. And now he created a handbook for you to move abroad with a short list of countries and their up and downsides. We also talk about his personal picks, how COVID affected digital nomads worldwide, Europe's role in the world, and of course, his own story shifting his hub from Florida to Mexico. And for those of you who are really interested to move abroad and want to get the best support, we have some stuff to win. Tim contributed one of his so-called committed packages for you to win. It includes a book, some reports, access to a mastermind group and much more. I'll explain later how you can win in the episode or you just go to the show notes financial-independence.eu. There you can also find the link to the video version of the interview. So let's start. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Okay, hello everybody to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, today with me is uh, Tim Leffel. Tim Leffel is from or living or has a space in Mexico. Uh, say hi. Hi, and thanks for having me on. Yes, uh, thanks for coming. And um, you're kind of travel blogger and you also wrote, uh, wrote a couple of books in, in the past. Uh, so you would kind of call yourself author. And um, I would like to start because we also did the intro already in the beginning of the show. I just wanted to start with three questions. And it's always a risk to ask three questions so that people can uh, get to know to you a little bit better. So I tried my best. Um, so. Um, you have to decide then between two options. What mu music did you like better in the 90s, Prodigy or R.E.M.? Oh, wow. I did like Prodigy, but I think R.E.M. has more good songs, more depth. So I'll go with them. Um, that's a question because you kind of, uh, I read about that you um, started with writing about music in the 90s. Yeah, I used to work for RCA Records, actually. So I didn't work with any of those bands, but I worked with a lot of others. I was in Nashville in country music, but then I got transferred to New York and was in the rock and roll world. Wow. And that was in the beginning of the 90s or end of the 90s? Yeah, beginning of the 90s, before I took off traveling. And then after I went traveling, I never went back to that career. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, why not? And um, then second question, uh, when cutting costs, what would you choose if you could just have one thing, uh, a car or air condition? Oh, wow. I have neither where I live, which probably sounds strange to a lot of people, but I live in the highlands of Mexico at 2000 meters, a little more. So we don't need air conditioning here. And also most of the streets are pedestrian only, so I, I don't have a car. But before this, I lived in Florida and there... You definitely need air conditioning. So I would go with that when I was in Tampa Bay, Florida. So yeah, Mexico, I thought maybe air condition would be a good choice. But that's a smart move then to just go up in, in, into the mountains that you don't need an air condition. But yeah, it's true in a lot of countries. If you just change your altitude, you can change your weather. So uh, that helps to get up a little bit higher. And um, are there any other luxuries you consume you like? To treat yourself? Um, well, I like to drink good beer, craft beer, and uh, good oh. bourbon on the whiskey side. <laughs> so I guess those are probably my main vices. And um, the thing that drives up your costs if you're an expat almost anywhere in the world is if you're trying to eat a lot of food from home. So I guess that's always kind of a splurge when you um, when you buy something imported that you're missing. Yes, like buying bread in the UK. Uh, so German bread in the UK, it's also very expensive. Or getting oats uh, on Mallorca is kind of four times the price of Germany. Yeah. Um, so you have to adapt a bit uh, to the situation. And um, I've seen, basically, I've also seen on Instagram that you drink a craft beer or you're always posing with your, with your drinks on Instagram. Yeah, especially when I'm in the US. It's a little bit tougher in Mexico because there is a craft beer scene here, but it's it's very young and the distribution's not very good. So it's a little more difficult. Whereas in the US, 
where I lived in Tampa, there were 70 breweries in that city. So you kind of get spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so last question, if you would like be a little bit younger, like 20 years ago, uh, or 20 or 24, or would be reborn younger, basically, um, how would you start then your career as a publisher? Would you then do it completely differently, like opening a TikTok channel or Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, or would you just start reaching out for other blogs and start writing for, for, for them as a freelancer or for free? Yeah, there's not a lot I would change um, because when I started out as a travel writer, there was really only one or two ways you could be a travel writer. You could write for magazines or you could write guidebooks and there weren't many other options. Um, it was writing for print or doing nothing. And so that's how I started out. Mm -hmm. But as soon as blogs started, um, I started a blog then in 2003. So I've been doing this for a while. But one mistake I made that I would change now is my publisher started my blog because they thought it would be a good idea to get some publicity. Mm -hmm. So my Domain was travel.booklocker.com because Booklocker was the publisher. And that was a mistake because later I needed to change it to my own domain and everything mm. had to be redirected and it was kind of a mess. But maybe I would start with video earlier than I did. But um, yeah, I don't know. I still try to spend more time writing than I do on social media because I feel like if I write an article, it's going to be around for years. But if I post something on Instagram, it's going to be gone in two days. <laughs> That's true. And you maybe get 50 likes and then it's, um, yeah, just gone away. Um, okay. So, um, but, but I think videos is getting more important also. That's why we also recording it uh, today because everybody wants to watch videos. Um, um, still not tired from all the zoom calls during COVID. So why not? And do you, have you heard about, um, the financial independence movement? I mean, you, you come from the state, so it has been uh, earlier in, in the United States around this financial independence movement than in Europe. Uh, have you thought about it or when have you heard about it? And uh, when are you planning to retire or are, are, <laughs> do you feel already retired? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Um, actually, a few people I interviewed for this second edition of my Living Abroad book um, were advocates of that movement, and they actually retired early and mm -hmm. moved abroad. And part of the theme of this book is that you can have a better life, you know, for less money. And uh, for a lot of people in that FIRE movement, it's an ability to um, maybe move up the timeline to do it a little bit earlier because you can move to a country where the costs are lower And mm -hmm. so you don't have to sacrifice as much and maybe you can start living off your lower amount and you mm -hmm. don't have to save as much. Um, for me personally, it's not really been a goal because I really like my job. I, I, I don't dread Mondays as I did when I worked in a cubicle job <laughs> at one time. I actually like uh, what I'm doing every day. And in normal times when there's not a pandemic, um, I'm getting paid to travel around the world and write about it. So um, that's a pretty good life. So I don't know what I would do any differently if I retired. I think I would kind of get bored. So maybe I could retire now if I sold off my websites, but I would rather not. I'd rather just mm. keep going because also if you're a writer or an editor or author, those are jobs that aren't a physical strain. <laughs> They're not mm -hmm. difficult. Um, maybe that you work your brain, but it's not like when you're working 80 hours a week, being a stockbroker or a lawyer or something where you're really getting stressed out. Um, mm -hmm. I don't feel any pressure there. So um, I'm not in any hurry, but I understand the movement and I, I uh, understand why people are striving for that. And um, it's a good goal to have. And I, I do believe in trying to live within your means and and um, live a, a frugal life. I mean, my wife and I drove a Prius that we shared for the last few years we were in Florida. And for Americans, people look at you like you're crazy if you only have one car for the two of you. <laughs> But we only needed one, you know, and you spend a lot of money on a car. And um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways you could cut your costs without necessarily uh, cutting back on your life. But what I'm advocating in this book is you can sort of have it both ways. You can uh, live more, live in a more frugal way, but you can also live it up and have a fun life as well. Yes, uh, pretty, pretty good. Um, because 
that's one way to get financial independence, just um, yeah, reducing your cost and um, using the arbitrage, uh, cost arbitrage between countries. And uh, so that's also what many people from our listeners are doing. It's not the kind of fat fire where you just live in New York City and try to get as many real estate as you can and uh, get a <laughs> high salary. Yeah, the downside could be that you have some have some health problems uh, running all the side gigs and all the uh, working so much. So maybe it's the easier route to just move somewhere else. It doesn't have to be far away. Maybe just me as a German can just go to maybe uh, Portugal or to Hungary or whatever. Right. Um, Those are two countries I featured, actually. And we should back up a, a second to say you need to have some kind of job you can do online or remotely to keep your earnings going if you want to mm -hmm. move abroad and live for less. Um, and if you're not retired, but these days, so many jobs that were not remote before <laughs> are remote now. So maybe a lot more people are able to do that. Yes. And uh, the, the corporates, um, also, they said, oh, no, we cannot leave people to work at home. They, they, they would not work at all. And mm -hmm. now they're kind of working basically the same as before, I would say. <laughs> it kind of works as for, for, some, for most jobs. And um, also, in, I'm in working consulting. And we usually also had to be on site uh, with a customer like four days, or three days. And now it also works without even negotiations and whatever. So... The only thing what's missing is the policy that you can work for from everywhere. So they, they have no clear policy. It's completely fine if you work from outside of Germany, for example. So that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, a lot of companies are discovering that people get a lot more done when they're working from their house. They're working more efficiently. You don't have so many meetings that you're going to and um, you don't have to commute. You know, you don't have to get in a car and drive for an hour every day. So... It can make a lot of difference and so many jobs are project-based they're not you know sitting on a factory floor and putting parts together you know a lot of uh white collar jobs office jobs are project-based so you really don't need to be there at a certain set time every day yeah i think the policies that will come or they will, will figure out because there are also some advantages for the companies so that they need less real estate um, they can save um, they can sell some of their towers uh, the banks for example yeah imagine how expensive those are well, i think uh, they, they're getting cheaper now because they are empty <laughs> nobody right. wants to buy them <laughs> and you cannot put airbnbs in every uh, bank tower in, in frankfurt for example <laughs> or in london although it would be funny but one thing I was um, asking myself is, if, aren't you kind of an economic re refugee if you go from like the States to Mexico? Or you, you're just doing it because you cannot afford living in the, in the States? Is it, uh, could, be a, could be a problem for, your, for yourself. Well, I did um, live in the States off and on. The last 10 years, I kind of went back and forth between Mexico and the USA because I had a daughter in, in school and now she's finished. But um, she did three years here in Mexico, went to school in Spanish. But then uh, we went back to the USA for her to finish her high school and get you know a high school diploma from the USA before she went to college. So we did live there and make enough to get by, but we just live so much better in Mexico. So some people are economic refugees, um, especially you, you find that in places like Nicaragua and Ecuador, where you only need, you know, $600. You only need to prove an income of $600 a month or something hmm. to get residency. So a lot of times when people can't afford to live in the United States, they'll move there. A lot of times it's for healthcare reasons, because as you probably know, we have a mm. terrible healthcare system. It's all profit-based and it's very expensive in the United States. So a lot of people will move abroad just because for that reason alone, they can cut their monthly expenses by a thousand dollars or more just by mm. getting rid of um, overpriced health insurance. So some people do it by necessity, but I think a lot of people do it by choice and, um, mm. An hour and a half down the road from me is San Miguel de Allende, and um, I've been to Los Cabos in Mexico a few times, and those two places are filled with millionaires. <laughs> They're mm. filled with people that have moved by choice, not because mm. they have to. Ah, so so um, basically, 
Uh, it's low cost countries, but uh, you don't have to move just for the purpose that it's uh, lower cost. But there are also some wealthy people there. Just one question for to them: It's yeah. sorry, it's 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 right. it's better deals on real estate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's you know a nicer home for the money, and it's the arbitrage factor again. They can have mm -hmm. a a daily maid and uh, a driver if they want, and be looking out at the ocean and Los Cabos and. They could do that for you know a third of the price or less than they could in California, for instance. So sorry ah, okay. to interrupt. <laughs> um, in California, so as a millionaire in California, you you cannot afford the normal things like a cleaning maid and a full time uh, guy in the garden and and exactly. <laughs> and you can't you can't buy a house on the ocean anymore for anything close to a million dollars. Isn't that a pity? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and in the, the healthcare, I think in, in the US, okay, that I always hear that it's expensive, the healthcare system, it's kind of broken, but still, the U in the US, they have the best medical, medical, medical care as, that you can afford. If, if you're ready to pay, you have the best doctors and the best uh, laboratories and so on. Isn't like that? It's just that 99.9% cannot afford it. Yeah, I mean, if you have really good insurance, which some mm -hmm. people do, then you're probably in good shape because, yes, the U.S. has uh, very advanced healthcare and great research hospitals. And so if you have something strange, especially <laughs> if you have a strange condition, then you want to be in the United States because there's probably uh, advanced mm -hmm. research going on that can treat that problem. But, yeah, it's very expensive. And um, if a lot of people don't have insurance because it's mm. not automatic. It's it's tied to your employer, which is really crazy. So if you're self-employed, you're paying mm. for all of it yourself, which I was. And mm. just to give you an idea, we were paying $1,200 a month for a family of three just for our insurance when we were mm. there. And then, of course, if you go in to have something done, you still have to pay on top of that. So it can get very expensive you have to pay extra. I thought it's an insurance. If you pay thousand two hundred, I would expect that it's kind of all inclusive. <laughs> you would think, but then they still have a deductible and copays and all these ways. They still get plenty of money from you, no matter what. <laughs> so okay, but if you just have standard problems like a headache or a broken knee or whatever, and then you you can also just go to other countries and get get much cheaper the healthcare. It's just yeah, when you have some ex exotic virus like Corona. <laughs> no, not yeah, Corona. I mean, there's um, a big medical tourism industry around mm. the world. I mean, just like mm. people from England go to Hungary and get, uh, you know, work done on their teeth, dental work. Mm. Um, people from the U.S. go to Costa Rica for that, or they'll go to Mexico for some kind of treatment, or they'll even go to <laughs> Brazil or uh, Argentina for plastic surgery, you know, to mm. have uh, <laughs> a facelift. <laughs> uh, I also had uh, lost a, a teeth, host son in English. Wait a second, I'm going yeah. to uh, tooth or teeth. Uh, just, yeah, some tooth, so just one. I lost in Scotland. Uh, I was there in summer school, and uh, the, the security gave me some some sweets, and it just removed my my tooth. And then I was like, um, like, oh no, I'm not going in the in the UK or in, in Scotland. I'm not going to the dentist there. Um, because I have seen all the, um, yeah, the people <laughs> uh, just uh, letting it open and waited until I was back to Germany. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, next time, I think next time I would just fix it also in Scotland. Um, okay. So, um, and, and maybe we can now go to that, uh, that part, how you would pick the place. I mean, there's in your book, there are a couple of countries, so you did an, a good job just preparing a list of countries, um, a short list, uh, as I understood, of countries that are worth going. And you explained in the book also the downsides and adva uh, advantages um, of these countries. So people can just go through it and getting inspired where they could go to. What would you say would be a good approach to, um, yeah, to choose a country where you could go? Yeah, so there are 19 countries with full chapters in that book. And then I have a few honorable mentions, you know, other places to think about. But I always tell people there's three ways to look at a place you could live. There's the um, the head factor, which is things you can put on a list. Like uh, I want a place with a warm climate and I want to live near the mountains or I mm -hmm. want to live near the beach. 
those kinds of things, uh, places with good coffee, <laughs> whatever your criteria is. And then there are the wallet factors, you know, what, what place can you afford or what place mm -hmm. will give you the lifestyle you want for the budget you've set out for yourself, um, which is especially important if you're retired and you're on a fixed income, you, you know how much you have coming in every mm -hmm. month and you want to make sure you can afford the place. But the third thing is the, the heart factor, you know, what place speaks to you and gets you excited. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you've traveled places before where you've looked around and gone, oh, yeah, I could live here. But then you've gone other places where after one day you're ready to leave, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't know that until you go there and start looking around, and you just know it's not a very good fit. And um, yeah, I also have been to some places uh, before, especially when I was like 10 year years ago. I was a lot of um, traveling at the Southeast Europe, uh, like Bulgaria, Albania, Turkey. It's not is Turkey Europe. I don't know. Um, part of it is yeah of, uh, <laughs> poland and uh, estonia and i was uh, when i was there i always told my 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 wife now wife um i would like to buy this um this penthouse or the flat we are living here because it's so nice and then it's kind of running like oh no don't tell me again that you want to buy a flat when we are in the in a, in a country but I, i still would like to have at least two flats one in germany maybe and one in in another country and i think i would choose um or go by if, if, if there's water or if there is nice is, is it good for your health and is the infrastructure structure decent enough like healthcare and internet coverage i mean the internet, yeah. cover, the internet coverage is everywhere better than in germany so that's even in albania you have really fast internet uh, um, yeah, it's quite good there, and and Romania too. For some reason, they have super fast internet there. <laughs> also, um, also the fixed uh, fixed line internet is, is super fast. Also, like uh, in 2017, I was in Romania and they had really fast internet, so much better than Germany. And um, so there are things you you won't expect. Um, or in Hungary, you have all, um, or in Budapest, you have all these uh, thermal things so this is these wellness right, areas the houses the bath houses and uh, it could be nice also in winter uh, even if they, have, they don't have the sea so that could be so you said um, the lifestyle you want you the budget you have and um, some hard factors yeah i would yeah, say just what what place is exciting to you you know is interesting enough where you could live and that's going to be different for every person you know some people are really like the cities some people really like the countryside and um you know it uh i like where i am because i it's a great walking city you can there's a lot of pedestrian only streets and you can get everywhere on foot for mm -hmm. me that was really important and when i got here i said wow i really love this place but other people come to visit and they say no it's not big enough of a city for me and you know i want mm. a place with better shopping <laughs> it depends <laughs> on what you like um yeah yeah for me basically i'm a i just like it um if i don't need a bicycle or, or car and i for right now i'm living in a flat on one street it's like 200 300 meters and you have everything there you have the school you have the kindergarten You have the supermarket uh, doctors and so on. So I don't need to le uh, leave the street for half a year, yeah. <laughs> especially in Corona times. There's no no reason to to go any further. Yeah, there's a big advantage in Corona times for not having to go very far. And um, I think that's saving so much time. Uh, and you, for example, I always forgot forget things, so I can just go home and <laughs> get my uh, water or whatever. So that would be really. Um, Good. So, but what you, as you have written um, your book, what would be some suggestions like for a, like a family from the UK? What would you suggest them uh, would be some options they could evaluate? Like if so, they have just a normal family, I'm not sure what what is normal in the UK. Maybe like three thousand, four thousand euros. No, they have not euros. They have British. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but they can figure out the exchange, but. Yeah, I think you you've got a lot of choices even within Europe on that amount of money. You can a lot of Brits have moved to Portugal, which is nice, sunnier weather than they have in England, and uh, mm. you know beaches nearby that you can visit a lot of the year. And costs are still quite low there. They're going up because it's getting more popular for tourism, mm. and, you know, not just for expats, but 
So in Lisbon, especially prices have gone up, but there's lots of other places to live in, in Portugal. But uh, there are a lot of British people that moved to Bulgaria. You mentioned that before. I mean, you mm -hmm. can buy a house there for the price of a car, basically, <laughs> if you look around. Um, or you can buy a flat in um, Bonsko, which is a ski resort area and has lots of nice hiking mm -hmm. nearby. You can buy a flat there for 40,000 euros easily and sometimes less. And it's a, another good walking place where you can go everywhere without getting in a car. But um yeah, the, the former Iron Curtain countries, you know, Eastern Europe, whether they're really East or not, places like Hungary and Czech Republic and Slovakia, Bulgaria, Romania, they're all a pretty good deal. And then the Balkans, Balkan countries too, which you talked about, um, Albania is a great deal. Um, you know, if somebody really wants to be adventurous, Montenegro or Bosnia, some of those other countries are quite a good deal and, mm -hmm. and are literally a quarter of the price when it comes to rent mm. um, that you would have to pay in, in the UK. Oh, I've also been to Bosnia. It was really friendly. So people was really nice. Yeah, I liked it there. Infrastructure was also okay. So not too, not too bad. So, but I think you can also get in East Germany, you can also get a house for like 40,000 euros. Really, um, still also, okay. Still, but in the rural, rural rural areas where you just just a bus one once a day, so you also need a car then. Yeah, um, of course. And also not much internet. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then if people are more adventurous, of course, mm -hmm. um, and and they don't, and they're homeschooling or doing it online or whatever, mm -hmm. you can go anywhere in the world. You could go to um, Malaysia, or you could go to, um, Central America or South America. Hmm. The, the difficulty when you're a family is figuring out what you're going to do about school. So if you homeschool them, it's no problem, but otherwise you hmm. either have to go to a local school in the local language, or the kids have to go to an international school, which hmm. is reasonable in some places, but in others, it can be really expensive. Yes. Yes. That's the main point with, um, Families, uh, I thought going to Lissabon for one day, but and they they have some German German English school, so that would wouldn't be a problem. But that's the the most important things. But um, if you, for example, you have hotspots where many people go, like uh, in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, or they, I think yeah, there, they great schools. <laughs> so there should be some some offers also for for the expats and so no problem. Uh, it's just when you go to Romania in I don't know, in the countryside, <laughs> you yeah, might have a you, problem. You won't have many choices and the schools are probably not very good. Uh, but yeah, any any big city, like big international city where there's mm -hmm. business going on, there will be an international school or two or maybe even 10. But yeah, when you get out into the smaller areas and the beach towns, it's much more difficult. And um, you also mentioned in the book the importance of a trial run. So you would not suggest um, just... Um, getting your stuff, um, booking a flight and then never return. So you would say, <laughs> uh, take a sabbatical and uh, move there and see how it goes. Or how would you? Yeah, I would suggest at the very minimum a couple of weeks. But, you know, if you can stay for a month or two, that's even better. And mm. also, if it's, it's good if you don't go there at the very best time of the year, because um, sometimes people go you know, to a place that has a, a really nice summer season, but their winter is terrible and you mm. sh should really experience the bad side of it also. But there's this TV show in the, in, in the U.S. called House Hunters International, and mm. they probably have it in other countries too, dubbed or subtitled. But it's this concept where people go to a place and they look around for a few days and they see three houses and they pick one and they buy it. And it's it's not real. It's it's reality TV, but it's not real. The people really um, look at many more houses than that, and they actually already have picked one before the filming even starts. So it's kind of this fake version of this move abroad that I think gives people a false sense of how easy it is. But you really should not uh, buy uh, buy a place to live somewhere, especially before you've spent some time there and. I always tell people rent for a year first before you buy anything because you really need to get a feel for the prices and the neighborhoods and mm. you know which areas are safe and which are not and which are which have a good resale value or a good rental potential before you spend a lot of money buying a piece of property. But have you done a trial run? 
Yeah, I did. Before we moved here, we came for a month and just uh, rented an Airbnb apartment and shopped in the local places and took language classes and mm. um, got a feel for it. And my wife and I had traveled a lot, but uh, we lived in Istanbul, actually, when we were younger, and we lived near Seoul, Korea, but um, we wanted to stay closer to home. And so Mexico was easy because it's really easy mm. to fly here. And uh, and we liked the culture and the food and that kind of thing. But yeah, after we lived here a month, we said, okay, we could do this for real. <laughs> we could stay longer. <laughs> yeah, Istanbul is it's a very nice city, but uh, kind of uh, far away than from the US and from your friends. Maybe you already have there or still yeah, have there. It's huge and it's spread out. And also people need to consider if they're still working the the time zone factors because mm -hmm. It might sound great to move to Thailand and hang out in Chiang Mai, mm. but if you're 12 hours away from the people you need to talk to on the phone, your family or business mm. contacts, then that can get really difficult. Uh, yes, uh, that's true. That's, um, that was also the reason why we moved for like two months to Kapstadt or Cape Town, uh, mm. because it's on the same time zone than Central Europe. Um, that was really good idea uh, to do. Um, but There's one question I noted here. Um, uh, I had um, or a question in my mind. What all this, you know, this digital nomad movement that have been emerging the last uh, three or four years, uh, all the people in Chiang Mai and working from South America. What, how did, did they deal with this COVID situation? I mean, there was suddenly some lockdown and then spikes in COVID numbers. And I think they really was really not good for them. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, you have a lot of friends, maybe also in other countries, and they reported to you how the situation is. So what have people telling you in Chiang Mai or in Bali about their lives and during COVID? Yeah, it's been interesting. I actually, I have another book out about travel writing. It's called Travel Writing 2.0 for the digital age. And I did a blog post on the, the blog for that about um, mm. digital nomads who got stuck somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so when this all started, a lot of them got stuck where they were and could not get home. And, you know, they made the most of it. They uh, rented a nice place or one of them uh, rented a camper van and just toured around Poland mm -hmm. for two months. But, um, yeah, it's been difficult because a lot of them, their whole life was moving from place to place, being a nomad. And now all mm -hmm. of a sudden they can't move around anywhere. So mm -hmm. some of them moved um, to like to to BC, Georgia, or somewhere like that, where they could move to easily and stay for a year. Some of them, uh, I did have a friend in Bali who's about to leave. She she was able to extend her visa over and over and they let people mm -hmm. extend it. But now they're saying, okay, no, that's enough. You have to go mm -hmm. home. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, a lot of people had to leave Thailand because they mm -hmm. were just on tourist visas. So yeah, it's been difficult. I think it's um, it's not really possible right now to be a digital nomad unless you're in Latin America because it's it's pretty easy in Mexico because you can stay for six months on a tourist visa. So a lot of mm -hmm. people came to Mexico or they went to um, Central America when those countries started opening up. And now you can you can hop around a little bit like you could not before, but now you can go to Guatemala, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, mm. um, any of those countries, you can go to keep going south to Ecuador or Peru, mm. Colombia. So now there's more options. You just have to um, get a negative COVID test <laughs> before <laughs> they will let you in. But okay. you have more options now. But, you know, you're in Europe. It's very difficult to travel around Europe and most places in Asia are not open now. Um, yes, and the flight. I could imagine that also flights have been more expensive due to COVID, as they reduce the amount. And um, yeah, I mean, some people people I've seen they moved just went to Sweden because Sweden they didn't lock down so much, and you can mm, just yeah. do what you want uh, in public. But also <laughs> now they kind of uh, closing. So yeah, they're having higher case numbers than Germany, yes. for example, right? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, just today in Germany, they announced that uh, there's a new lockdown, a hard lockdown, they call it. Um, but it's not as hard as in Spain or Italy. So you can go out also to for mm. jogging and so on. That's kind of, I would say that's a small disadvantage that when there's a black swan that you that you kind of hit and you cannot move so easily to other countries if you're kind of living in these yeah, in these 
not Central Europe areas, I would say. So that's... Yeah, this was a black swan event that not many people predicted. I mean, we've had pandemics in the past mm. that spread to a few countries, but it's been more than 100 years since one spread to the whole world, you know, and it's yes, it was yeah. hard for people to imagine that healthcare is so much better than it was 100 years ago. So everyone <laughs> thought, oh, it's never going to happen like that again. Mm. Yeah, so, and, um, but as in Germany, they at least say they got everyone who is a net, a net uh, is, is a German, they um, collected them then with planes from all over the world, but they told them, if you go and travel again, we're not going to collect you again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so that because it was really expensive. Um, yeah, so let's see how it uh, works. And if they still, um, if then next year, the digital nomad, still on hype or is, is um, then yeah. yeah continuing i um, think a lot of them did not have a plan b either which is a big problem like mm -hmm. uh, i you've probably answered right because you mentioned the black swan um, nasim taleb the author has a book out called anti-fragile and i mm -hmm. think probably the people in your financial independence retire early movement are mm -hmm. already more anti-fragile than someone who's for example a digital nomad who has no savings <laughs> because uh you know yeah. if, even if even if they lose their job they've got something to fall back on you know they've got mm. money in the bank so maybe it changes their plans but at least they have a backup plan uh, yeah, money can can uh, can help then also in in these situations and um, but still, if you have to deal now with this, if you have maybe been on Bali and had to have to deal with the uh, situation, then you have also, it's good for your resilience. You, you can read on books, resilience is very important and you, uh, shit has to happen to you that you can be stronger and so on. So that would be then one of the events where you could emerge stronger than before, I would say. Yeah, I do think one thing travel teaches you is how to adapt and mm -hmm. how to deal with difficulties because when you're traveling long term you're constantly running into problems that you don't have any control over <laughs> with uh, the bus doesn't come or the plane doesn't leave or mm -hmm. the hotel's not there anymore or whatever and so i think you get used to uh, running into problems and finding out how to get around them <laughs> yeah but what can be solved often it can be solved um, by money or by using time so you could Correct. just wait for another bus or for example i had a terrible hostel in uh, Sof sofia in bulgaria where they were drinking and um, puking all night so we just i had some bonus points for um for redison uh, hotels for a hotel chain right uh, like if, and i just used the bonus points to get like a five star uh, stays and <laughs> for the rest of the time that's great until we that's... move to, to the next hostel in istanbul by bus um but the bus, yeah, bus that's is really uh, reliable i think the that's bus another oh yeah that's another backup plan that i advise people to have yeah have some have some points in your pocket you know hotel points or airline points or things like that they're like another kind of currency and they can get you out of a jam and Another thing that can get you out of a jam is having more than one credit card or more than one debit card because you mm. never know if yours is going to get declined or the machine takes your card or or you forget to take it out or something. Yes, yeah, so, um, usually I have um, there there people they are very kind of simple people. They have one mobile phone, they have one bank card, and I have always like the backups because I'm sometimes losing stuff. So I have like multiple uh, credit cards. And this was very good because uh, in, uh, when traveling, sometimes the limit was um, you I was beyond the limit because it was a free credit card. So I had some my company credit cards that was really had some more features. <laughs> yeah. So it's really helpful to, to have uh, more of them, I would say, and also maybe a backup SIM card or something like that. Um, yeah, and back up your your things that in case you lose them like a picture of your passport <laughs> yes yeah that's why i i also activated icloud to pick the, uh, the backup for the pictures because i'm i there was a time like a couple of years ago where when i tend to lose my phone in the in the lake or in the river like in, in berlin um, and so i usually it's when it's updated uh, directly in the clouds and it was really peace of mind so i could just lose the phone and it's no no problem because i have a backup <laughs> so, yeah that's a big uh, big relief 
Um, there's one question um, I also have for people. We have also listeners from Portugal or Italy, also from Romania, and also from the countries you like, you kind of advising that people can go to. But what can people, for example, in Bulgaria, is there an option for them also to, they have to go to a cheaper country, I would say. They have to find a cheaper country. Yeah, it gets difficult the further down you get on the list, obviously, uh, of costs. I would say it's pretty hard if you live in Bulgaria to find a cheaper place in Europe to go to, uh, except maybe Bosnia or Albania. But you probably need to go somewhere cheaper still, like maybe Cambodia and Asia. Um, but yeah, it gets more difficult. There's always the option of going to a smaller city. So, for example, if you live in Sofia, Maybe you can go to Plavdiv or um, Velika Tornova or another city that's smaller mm. and bring your costs down. Otherwise, I think you just have to save more money or find a better job or you know, and, the uh, other things. That so you can find do. a better job by, by just going to the UK, for example. <laughs> right, which plenty of people in Bulgaria do, of course, yes. and Romania and other places. They move to a richer country so mm. they can earn more money. And, and maybe it's temporary. You know, a lot of people move from Mexico to the United States for uh, to make more money, but they're not doing it as a permanent move. You know, they're doing it for a year or two to mm. save some money or send money home. And there are also seasonal workers that you know, go to the United States to work on a potato farm for six months and then they go back to Mexico again. Mm. And so that's always been an option for people is doing seasonal work. And you can do that all over the world or you can go work on a cruise ship or something like that. And it might be a good adventure <laughs> to make some more money for a different life. Um, yeah, people um, also during COVID, they um, in Germany imported uh, people from imported in, in um, yeah um, from Romania to help with uh, collecting fruits and in in the agriculture um, because they just needed them. So it's pretty safe if you want to uh, earn money in, in in UK or Germany to be in the agriculture business. You get a flight um, business class or at least second class um so it was really um still valuable for for the countries to get the people and also it's important to note that it's much easier these days to have a side hustle or a side gig or to work freelance mm -hmm. and for people to find you on platforms like fiverr or upwork or uh mm -hmm. something like that i mean my guy who does most of my technical web work uh he lives in um um moldova and so uh you know he he lives there and he works for me and he works mm -hmm. for uh, lots of other people and makes a better wage than he can make locally but you know all the work he's doing is online he just has to log on to the site and do his work and it's also true for graphic designers um it really doesn't matter which language you speak if you can do graphic design and do it well so I think it's easier now to live in a cheap country and, and still earn dollars or euros or pounds working for someone else um, in another country because we didn't used to have these platforms. It was hard to find someone working mm. in another country who was who had good skills, but mm. now it's much easier to find these people. And so I think if you're good at something, if you're a systems analyst or you're a coder or you can do design, then you can probably make money in another country without having to move to that country. Yeah, there's, there are also many people in Georgia who speak German. Um, for some reason, they do some virtual assistant work uh, for, for German companies and so on. So that's a good opportunity also if you have a small business um, to, to um, take advantage of them. Or if you're busy with your day job, you can just hire somebody to to research for presents or gifts for your family. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have a virtual to do assistant. And uh, so last question maybe on that is, what do you think about uh, Europe, Europe's place in the world? Would you say somebody from the US would also consider Europe to uh, to live? Or is Europe just a place to retire for, for people from uh, from the US who, um, who have money? Or who would go to, what's Europe's place in the world? And who would go to Europe? No, I think most Americans who are educated and, you know, liberal, progressive, they kind of look at Europe as the most sane place in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had, obviously, a 
an insane president the last four years. And I think a lot of people started looking at places like Portugal or Hungary. I mean, Hungary has its own problems, but people started looking and going, okay, the grass looks greener over there. It looks like a better place to live. Mm. But also a lot of Americans have European heritage. And so they, they sort of have um, a tie to Europe. You know, they came from Ireland or they came from Germany or mm. they came from Italy. So they have a desire to go back there and they have a dream of living in a place like that. And, um, so I think a lot more younger people have been moving to Europe the last four or five years, and I think that's going to continue. The difficulty is for Americans, it's much harder to get residency than it is for EU residents. So we're starting to see things like this uh, digital nomad visa or, or you know, the Estonia's uh, e-visa and Barcelona is making it a little easier. I mean, Spain is making it a little easier to go live in Barcelona and Portugal's making it easier for Americans. So I think you'll see more of this happening because traditionally these countries always were open to very rich people. You know, you could buy your way into almost any country if you're willing to invest enough or spend enough, but now they're making it easy for people who are working online to, to go live in a country like that. And it makes sense because normally those people are giving more than they're taking, you know, in other words, they're not, they're not uh, a strain on the the infrastructure or a strain on the school system or whatever, and they're actually spending money in the country um, on a regular basis. So it's a net win, and they're educated usually, and um, you know they're the kind of people you want to have in the country. But um, traditionally, it hasn't been very easy for people to to work legally um, online and live in your country without. Um, having some kind of physical job, you know, work visas were always set up for people who had a physical job. And so I think that's getting better and hopefully it'll keep getting better. Um, and there's also knows? some com competition between the countries. So it's like, it's like different uh, supermarkets. They, they're competing for the people and they're offering right. other stuff. And so do you want to go to the discounter or do you want to go to the, to the Walmart of the countries? <laughs> and um, so like, yeah, I think uh, like Estonia did a lot uh, for, uh, for business owner, Portugal for people who want to retire and uh, Malta for people who want to create a trading business for <laughs> they have yeah, a interesting and the tax. Czech Republic has set up some kind of freelance visa for mm. for freelancers who are working online but I'm surprised we haven't seen more like this from from places like Romania and Hungary and Slovakia because they they've kind of had um a drain in population you know like mm. a lot of people young people have moved away mm. to work somewhere else because of the reasons we were talking about so there's whole villages in those countries that are just full of old people, you know? Mm. So I think if they would do more to bring people in who are um, working online, then they could sort of offset that population decline a little bit and get people into their country who are mm. spending money and, and would bring some actual youth into the population, bring down the average age. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a problem all Western European countries have, but I didn't know that it's also East European countries have the problem that they have uh, reduced population over the next years. That can be very expensive. <laughs> yeah, and it's not just because they're having fewer babies. I know that's the problem in Italy and some other countries, but it's because a lot of young people are leaving to work in Germany or the UK or somewhere, mm. and then they don't come back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just come back for Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a lot of people, uh, new people also coming in, in, into Germany, and um, but still we also lose people over the next years. So there will be also some empty villages then also. If you if you like to buy a village, then wait a couple of years and then... <laughs> like Schitt's Creek. Yes. Do you know that show? Um, not really. But um, other question, um, don't you think uh, Europe is very boring because we regulate everything? And so who wants to be in, in Europe because we don't innovate? Uh, you, you know, in the United States, they innovate and they have all these startups. In, in China, you can easily get rich maybe. And in Europe, we just uh, regulate stuff. And uh, isn't that boring? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a trade-off always, right? A yin and a yang, like for every upside, you have a downside. And so mm -hmm. I think 
there is that problem in Europe that maybe things are overregulated and it's difficult to be an entrepreneur. But on the other side, you know, you have fairly progressive politics and mm -hmm. less income disparity, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. It's not just the rich getting richer and it's more spread out. I mean, especially in Scandinavia, that's a whole different mm -hmm. story. Yeah. But you have better social structures and more of a safety net. So I think for all the bad points, you can find good points as well. And I think for people who are working online, they run an online business or they're freelance, it doesn't matter so much, you know, except maybe they want to go shopping on Sunday and they can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are regulations like that that are annoying, but I think mm -hmm. the startup, the business startup problems are not really an issue for them. Mm. Um, so basically, also maybe a couple of, you have to finish um, them in a couple of minutes, but uh, as you mentioned already, your side businesses and uh, entrepreneurship, um, how did you, I mean, you have a lot of websites like you couple of websites about um, helping writers and uh, many books and so on. How uh, how did you create this publishing empire? What was the hardest part? And uh, or you just or would you say you just had a lot of time and um, that was? Well, it was kind of market based. I did it gradually over years. And then when mm -hmm. I when I saw an obvious hole in the market, like if nobody was covering something very well, if it was hard to find it on Google, hard to find good information, then mm. that's why I started a site. And so I started one called Perceptive Travel, and it's all narrative stories from book authors because mm. there was there were not many publications publishing narrative travel stories, and now there's even fewer. And I started one that I eventually sold called Practical Travel Gear that was all about um, travel clothing and luggage and backpacks and things like that. Mm. because I wasn't seeing much out there about normal things, just the really expensive mm. <laughs> gear, the expensive things. And so that's kind of how I did it over the years. And um, I feel like it's not, but it's not five times harder to run five sites than it is to one to run one. Like there, you get some efficiencies and some, mm. you can have somebody work on multiple sites for you and, and things like that. And so it's a little bit easier and I, I manage my time pretty well, I think, but, Yeah, I, I found that passive income works a lot better if you have more than one website. And it's also back to that anti-fragile thing we talked about. You know, if you have multiple sites or multiple kinds of businesses, then you don't have to worry so much if one of them has a terrible year. Mm. <laughs> so that was really helpful this year because I had one site, for instance, it's all about hotels. It's called hotelscoop.com. Mm. It's all hotel reviews. Well, This year, this has not been a very good year to write about hotels. <laughs> so uh, thankfully, I had other ones that were doing better. Ah, true, true. There was some yeah, revenue problems, maybe. But um, you also mentioned that you you outsource um, stuff. And I think if you have multiple websites or also podcasts, um, then you can, for example, have just one guy doing the controlling or one guy doing articles or um, yeah, doing front end for social media. Yeah. Social I have one, one assistant who does a lot of my social media posting, not my personal things, but uh, for the mm -hmm. websites and um, yeah, she does all the sites. It's no problem. You can set it up in Hootsuite. So you have a different tab for each one mm -hmm. and you can use tailwind for scheduling on Pinterest. So mm -hmm. yeah, I can offload that to her and um, let her take care of it. And, I have an associate editor who's, who does some of my article postings on some mm. of my sites. So, yeah, you can you can get one person to do multiple things. <laughs> okay, so you have kind of social media. You have one for for websites, so for technical stuff. And yeah, then, uh, there was another one, but I forgot it. So, so yeah, I have one doing um, sort of editorial. She's like an associate editor. She ah. posts some of the stories, mm -hmm. and then yeah, I have a person who does. A lot of the technical WordPress things that I either am not very good at or would be very time consuming for me, mm. um, he can go in and find the problem and fix it very quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's worth paying for that. Yes, yes, yeah. It gives you gives you peace of mind, I would say. And also we have have an editor for the podcast. It's also very good. Um so right. um greets to the editor. Hi, Giacomo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Then I would say let's finish it up. I would let's just miss a last question for you is uh, 
if you, I mean, you're doing this travel blogging for a long time. Could you imagine doing something completely different um, at a certain point of time? So, I mean, people getting it longer, like a hundred years, and you cannot be a, <laughs> a Java developer for maybe you you start with twenty as a Java developer, and then you kind of tired about it at thirty-five. So you want to be maybe an architect, but maybe you also want to play cello or be a singer-songwriter or whatever. Um, so, do you have any plans to? Do something completely different? Not well, really. I've talked about as I get older, maybe I will um, just dial back things a little bit, like sell a couple of these sites and have less things to work on. Mm. And maybe I will write a novel. I've written uh, lots of books, but they've all been nonfiction books. And I've got some ideas bouncing around in my head for fiction things. So mm. maybe someday I'll write a novel. And I used to play saxophone, so maybe I'll start playing again. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. knows but um but yeah i like to uh, i still like to travel i still get excited about it so um as long as i'm going to some places i haven't been a before i think that will always be interesting to me mm. but sometimes the writing aspect um there are parts of it i get a little bit tired of like for nowadays you have to write so much for search engines you know you have to be so focused mm. on whether something can be found in search engines and That gets kind of annoying. You can't just sit down and write a, an article and bang it out and be done with it the way I could in the old days because now mm -hmm. you have to make sure you do your keyword research and have all the right terms in there. And it's so much more competitive than it used to be because yes. there are so many more travel sites and blogs and everything else. Uh, so. Same also for podcasts. You should be below 40 minutes. Uh, or at least uh, below one hour. And I think we crossed one hour just now. <laughs> um, so there's also some pressure, but um, yeah, I think we can afford also to um, just take the time. Um, but some of the really popular ones are super long though. So you can break the rules, I guess, if you're popular enough. Ah, I think uh, there, there's one in, in Germany, which is really popular. They also have two hour uh, pot, uh, episodes and there's, Also, the 80,000 hour uh, website, 80,000hour.org. <laughs> I think this is also like two, two hours. I think it depends on the interview and on the guest, maybe. And um, yeah, so where can people find you online? Last questions. So, uh, my main blog is the Cheapest Destinations blog. That's the one I started in 2003. Mm -hmm. So, it's just cheapestdestinationsblog.com. Uh, if you want to find out the, more about the book, you can go there or go to cheaplivingabroad.com. And then my portfolio site's just my name, timleffel.com, and that links out to everything. So um, if you just can remember my name, you can find me there. And we also link it in the show notes, of course. And you also mentioned some books. Um, you call it the Anti-Fragile book, for example, or Black Swan. We also talked about it. Is there any resource, uh, maybe not well-known, or any book, a podcast, some website um, that can help you with either becoming financial independent or just moving abroad a little bit better um, except your website. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's another podcaster. I hate to bring up competition, but they have a group, a community as well called Location Indie. Mm. And his podcast is Zero to Travel. But Location Indie, it's a really good group if you want to be in with like-minded people who are thinking of, you know, having a, a life abroad um, Side Hustle Nation's a, a really good website for for ideas mm. for for gigs for side hustles and yeah so I think just try to find people who don't think you're crazy and I think that's true of the fire movement too if you can find mm. other people to talk to who are on the same path as you it mm. makes it easier because maybe your friends and relatives think you're crazy but those people they do. won't they do <laughs> I can confirm. I think we can close now. Um, and for the people who have um, just, yeah, who are still here, uh, we have also a, a kind of a gift or some package um, for those who I would say, let's say they have to tweet or they have to do a post on Instagram and mention FI Europe and Tim Leffel or an Instagram Globetrots and just, just tweet or post about what you liked about the interview or what you learned. And then just yeah, tag us um, or just send us a screenshot uh, to our email address and you can win. What can they win? 
Tim? So you'll win a committed package that goes along with my book for a better life for half the price. So what that means is you get some bonus materials, you join the private Facebook group, and we have a quarterly conference call. Uh, whoever wants to join just to ask questions about moving abroad or overseas living or things you need to get done before you leave. So we do that once a quarter. And um, I also have an email newsletter for those people where I pass on some extra tips. So it's an $89 value and you'll get some extra things. Pretty good. And I will also mention this, um, how to do it in the show notes again for people who just um, yeah need to figure out what our accounts are, for example. And then I th thank you, Tim, for <laughs> letting us know about all the countries and your strategies. And yeah, see you next time. Yeah, Matthias, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for the great questions. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>